0: Binge Mode is presented by Bud Light. Bud Knight is back! Bud Light brought back Bud Knight by recreating another pivotal moment from Game of Thrones.
1: Reciting pasta varieties can only bring back beings filled with Bud Light. Wonder if Bud
0: Knight caught up with the wizard and the king to get some Italian food? Enjoy responsibly,
1: 21 and up.
0: Today's Binge Mode is brought to you by Stitcher Premium.
1: You've probably heard about Marvel's hit scripted podcast, Wolverine, The Long Night.
0: Gizmodo called it the X-Men crime drama podcast I
1: never knew I wanted. Now Wolverine is back, and you can only hear it on Stitcher Premium.
0: This new season's called Wolverine, The Lost Trail, and it picks up with Logan in Louisiana Bayou.
1: Wolverine heads to New Orleans looking for redemption. And his ex. Only, she's nowhere to be found. Dozens of humans and mutants have gone missing.
0: It's up to Wolverine to find out what's going on with the Weapon X in pursuit. Along the
1: way, he'll find Biker
0: Gang's gambit and a refuge run by a powerful mutant.
1: You can listen to Wolverine The Lost Trail now on Stitcher Premium.
0: For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to wolverinepodcast.com and use the promo code BINGE.
1: Warning. BINGE mode contains adult content.
0: You should know that by now. So if... You're not down with hearing about incest, sex, and Jon Snow's glutes. Please check
1: out another podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. One more warning binge mode contains spoilers. If you don't yet know why we're sobbing at our desks watching the cast remembers videos, just like the hound, he was sobbing too. Please proceed with extreme caution.
0: And now, binge mode.
1: They're coming. Our enemy doesn't tire. Doesn't stop. Doesn't feel. Binge Mode Game of Thrones, proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Joining me today, now that he's finished writing spec scripts for the Game of Thrones spin-offs SNL floated this past weekend, it's Ringer Senior Creative, and your maester, Jason Concepcion.
0: Mal, two more sleeps until Season 8 premiere, but Binge Mode Game of Thrones is already here. Whether or not you've sailed the narrow sea of content with us during our original 67-episode run, we're thrilled that you're here now, and we hope that you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review a seven-pointed star for reading, five stars for Binge Mode reviews. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Binge underscore Mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for Binge Mode fans. And please, please check out ringer.com slash shop to check out our brand-new Binge Mode merch including not even a maester tease, protect ghost, and Knights of summer tease, binge logo, dad hats and tees, and a new crew neck sweatshirt.
1: Whoa! Last time on Binge Mode, we fielded your Raven Scrolls on another edition of Ask the Underscore. And today, we're gearing up for Sunday's season eight premiere by diving into our seven biggest questions heading into the final season. We, like you, have a million questions, but these are the ones that are dominating our hearts and minds and souls the most in these precious final moments. Before we get clarity, if you're eager to explore even more questions, please check out the awesome Loose End series on TheRinger.com. And be sure to head to the Binge Mode social feeds and The Ringer's YouTube channel to check out our Path to the Throne explainer videos on the Starks, the Targaryens, the Lannisters, and the field. And check out our daily countdown of the top 25 moments in Game of Thrones history. And please, drumroll. Listen to the Precapables Game of Thrones on the Ringer's Recapables feed, co-hosted by another drum roll, please, our very own Zach Cram and Riley McAtee. They will be previewing the upcoming episode for you every Friday. And a reminder, on Sunday night, we will be with you live exclusively on Twitter right after the episode, along with Chris Ryan, protector of the Watches' realm. Right now, though, grab some sour goat's milk, light a comforting and life-sustaining fire, because it's time to head to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven. All right, folks. It's time to dive into our seven biggest questions ahead of the Season 8 mm. premiere of Game of Thrones. And if you're new to binge mode, you're about to learn that sometimes we say we're doing seven things, and it's really (laughs) 807 things. It's seven things with 50 bullet points (laughs) under the first thing. (laughs) And if you're not new to binge mode, you're familiar with this tactic. (laughs) So the first question is really an umbrella for a subset of questions. And the first question is really the most boiled down, condensed version. All
0: the John stuff. All the John stuff. (laughs) Obviously, the, the mystery of his parentage now revealed Was the central mystery driving the story both in the books and the show for as long as we had a story? So now that it's revealed, when and how will John learn the truth that the audience knows now? Right. And what will the impact of that be?
1: I think that we have to consider the fact that there might actually still be multiple phases of the reveal coming. So if we look back at how the Tower of Joy information and John's parentage reveal has been parceled out to us as viewers, it's been the central question since the story began. Obviously, the way that Ned and John parted with Ned's promise to tell John about his mother when they met again. And of course, them not meeting again because Ned died. And we get to Tower of Joy for the first time yes. early in season six, and we're like, oh my god, it's happening! And then it doesn't actually happen until the season six finale, and it's the best moment in the history of the show. But even then, there's more information that doesn't come to us until the season seven finale, which is when we finally learn that there was an annulment for Rhaegar and Elia and a marriage for Rhaegar and Ragana, Prince Prince. Raga. Raga. And of course, John's true name is Aegon Targaryen. So it seems reasonable on the one hand to deduce that similar pacing could apply to John and the rest of the realm learning. The very obvious flip side to that is we only have six episodes (laughs) of Game of Thrones left. So perhaps it will be something where Sam and Bran, one, the other, both, tell John. Fairly quickly upon his return to Winterfell, because we know that's their intention. That's how they end their exchange in season seven finale. We, he has to know, we have to tell him. Right. But is John, who, as we will get to later, has yet to broadcast the information about his resurrection across the realm, going to immediately share this information no, with everyone? He's gonna need to process. Probably this, not. Yeah. So maybe we'll see John find out immediately and I, then it will take a little longer for everyone I else? yeah i'd imagine
0: it's got to happen you know again six episodes it's got to happen fairly early that is how we ended the season and i think it'll be interesting to see how they break it to him
1: uh-huh.
0: bran i think we both agree is not the bedside manner guy at this point he's just kind of out there in spaceland just saying stuff and i'm excited to
1: see him say yuri agon targaryen but guess what I'm the three-eyed raven.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's what—Sam exists mainly to, you know, do research in the ink-stained pages of history and then get it confirmed by Bran, and then basically to take Bran's stuff and translate it into actually human speech so people could understand it and, like, (sighs) not just be talking to this weird kid. But I think—I would imagine it's going to be Sam breaking it to him and then John just reeling for an episode, not knowing how to deal with it.
1: I think— we have to keep in mind that Sam has always been the one best equipped to help John cope and to help him process some new painful information in his life. You know, all the way back in season one, when John found out that he was named to the stewards and not the rangers as he right. dreamed of being, Sam was the one who helped him see that Lord Commander yeah. Mormont was grooming him for command and that this could be yep. a wonderful thing and a great way to learn and grow into a leader and a great part of his legacy if he chose to think of it that way. Sam has always been most adept. You know, he, of course, brought John back after John fled because he wanted to go reunite with his family. He's always been best equipped at helping John recalibrate how he's thinking about some aspect of his own life. Now, it's interesting to think about the fact that Sam was gone when John was resurrected. So Sam has some catching up to do on that part of John's life, too. What happens, though, after John processes this? You know, there's that Wonderful quick little shot in not the main trailer, but one of the shorter spots that's mm. since come out of John lighting candles in the crypts. Mm. C- could be Ned, certainly, but maybe that's a like moment that will absolutely shred me where he's lighting candles on Liana's tomb, oh, visiting man. his mother's tomb. What happens when, after John processes this, he tells everyone or other people tell everyone, how will the rest of the realm process this? Will the North in particular? continue to stand behind him after it's revealed that he is a Targaryen? It's a great question, and you have to imagine that
0: it's going to cause friction with northern houses. This is a part of the country that has now declared independence twice. Mm
1: -hmm. And we should loop in... The Lords of the Vale here too, right, because Royce because specifically Royce and, and specifically says a
0: Targaryen cannot be trusted.
1: Um, staring um, into John's eyes as he says, staring this right in into John's six, eyes. So you
0: you do wonder clearly if the Vale feels this way. The Vale, largely untouched by the wars that have gone on in the last several years, the North decimated by the wars that have gone on in the last several years, have fought and died in great numbers in order to declare themselves independent from the kings and queens that rule from the south. Now you have John bending the knee to a Targaryen queen. And, oh, yeah, he's also a Targaryen. Right. There's just going to be questions that arise from that. Yes, John is essentially Ned's son, whatever the biology is. He's Ned's son. Mm-hmm. He, he takes after him in personality, his traits, the, his personal code. That's all Ned. Yep. But that's not really how people in this world see things. You know, blood... What's one of the things people say in the, in the books, all the blood tells, you know, like bastards are thought of as shifty and untrustworthy for a reason because they don't have the full blood of a royal union behind them. So I think that it's bound to cause problems. That said, there is a more pressing problem, which is the Night King is marching down from the wall onto to Winterfell. So I don't know that while certainly there'll be people who are like, you yeah, know, I'm not sure about this guy anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can really address those things right now. Like, we got to fight
1: the dead guy. Right. John's biggest defense in this case is just the same thing he's been saying for the last few seasons. I looked into his eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Also, of course, when we think about history, because what you just said about the recent wars is obviously true, but let's go back a little further to the wars before that, to Robert's Rebellion and to the events that incited Robert's Rebellion. The North believes Mm -hmm. everyone except for the precious few people who have information to the contrary, believe that Rhaegar kidnapped and raped Lyanna. And they know that the Mad King burned Rickard Stark and strangled Brandon Stark to death at the same time.
0: You know, that's a great point, because even when the reveal of Rhaegar and Lyanna, their love, their wedding... That it was legitimate under the eyes of the seven. Even when that's revealed, it's not like people are gonna go, oh, okay, it's
1: cool now. Right. It doesn't erase the atrocities yeah. that the mad king committed during the course of his reign. And Danny is his daughter. And now they will know that John is part of that family tree. Now, one of the lessons of the story is that the son is not the father, the child is not the parent. And John is one of the primary characters who preaches that. Nedumba. <laughs> but not everybody is as. Open-minded and progressive as John is in that sense. So will he and others be able to get other people to think that way to be determined? There's a lot of history there working against them. And how Stark and the Lords of the Vale through John Arryn were at the heart, along with Robert and the Baratheons, of course, of Robert's rebellion. They waged the war to bring down the Targaryen dynasty.
0: Yeah, I think that there's there's a world where if you're very paranoid, the— Argument to kind of foment negative opinion against John is not that hard to gin up. It's like, okay, so the Targaryens, the Mad King executed Lord Ricard and Brandon, and now his grandson is secretly going to rule the North. Not even secretly, now openly has attempted to secretly rule the North and now is going to openly rule the North because his secret's been revealed to everyone. There's just people that are not going to be happy about that.
1: And it's something that you can envision— Cersei using as an active wedge and divisive tactic, we don't know when or how Cersei will interact Mm -hmm. with the rest of the characters in the story because, you know, Cersei and eventually Euron and the Golden Company, who we'll get to later, will be centered in King's Landing for the beginning of the season, we think, but the bulk of the other characters on the show are headed up to Winterfell. So will she be able, if the little birds get this information to Kyburn and it gets to her, to use this in some way to sow seeds of discontent in the northern camp? That can only help her. Yeah. And, you know, a
0: Stark must always rule in Winterfell, and John's a Targaryen. Mm -hmm. He's Aegon Targaryen. Sansa Stark is a Stark. Arya Stark is a Stark. Glad- Bran Stark is a three-eyed raven, but he's
1: a Stark. <laughs> um, Bran Stark is high as fuck on his peace yes, pipe at but the moment. Jon is but Jon is a Targaryen. Glad you mentioned Sansa, because this is a key thing to yes. think about. How is Sansa in particular going to react to all of this? Littlefinger's out of the way. He's not there trying to poison the well anymore. And she proved that she was capable of seeing through, ultimately, the bullshit and staying unified and strong with her family against those who would seek to tear them apart. Mm-hmm. However, we saw her receive John's Raven scroll. She was not happy. Telling her that he had bent the knee. Didn't sit well with her.
0: I, th- I feel that we need to remember. So right before the Battle of the Bastards, there is that parley between John and his top lieutenants and Ramsay and his top lieutenants. And they go back and forth and then they ride away. And... Later in John's tent, Sansa's like, I know him better than any of you. Right. No one asked me. Mm -hmm. Sansa at this point has proven that she is a skilled administrator and leader and a underratedly cunning strategist. Mm -hmm. And once again, John has gone off and done a thing that directly (laughs) affects her. Bent the knee. Without discussing it with her. Right. This is a huge decision, and he's not discussed it with her. There's just bound to be issues that arise, you know, mainly because of the fact that John doesn't let her into his decision-making process. And he should. He needs to.
1: This is why I'm very glad that Arya is there. <laughs> because, yeah. obviously, the arya John reunion is one of the most anticipated, maybe the most anticipated reunion of Season 8. And we know that Arya will be Team John. We can't really— Say what role Bran will serve in all of this. I mean, we hear that voiceover line from him in the trailer about home, the idea yeah. of home and returning home. And I think we and many people out there really, really, really want the four of them to stay strong and stay mm-hmm. together. I think the more interesting question than how Sansa or Royce or the Lords of the North or anyone else will process this information, even how Danny will process this information, because of course, from Danny's perspective, John has a better claim to the Iron Throne than her, and she believes the Iron Throne is her birthright. That's going to be interesting. Yes. The the most interesting thing to me, though, is John and his ability to process this and how he views himself after learning about this because the story is ultimately about, among its most central themes, identity and the family you choose. We return to these ideas time and time and time Mm -hmm. again. John grew up desperately wanting to be a Stark, yeah. to really belong in Winterfell, to not have to sit separate from the, the head table at a feast, right? And he's not just going to say, oh, cool, right. I'm a Targaryen, great. First of all, he's going to feel unworthy of this, just as he has of his he may He may feel more than unworthy, just like... Absolutely wanting to reject this. Exactly. So that's another thing that we have to consider is how is he going to respond to this? It's just one more burden. Will he want to shoulder it? Will he be able to? He's probably going to say to Danny, it's yours. I don't want it. And then the question is, if he wants to stay in the North, is that even possible? If you're the savior, if you're the leader of humanity's charge against the crush of death, Can you say I lead you in this way but not in this other? You know, what will that look like? That's going to be one of the more interesting dynamics in Season 8. But we've heard him say time and time again that he is fighting for the North. He is of the North. And that's why that exchange between John and Theon at the end of Season 7 was so crucial because— We don't really care about Theon. It was masquerading as a scene about Theon that was ultimately about John's identity and his ability to think this way. Hopefully in the future when he says to Theon, you know, you don't have to choose. You can be a Greyjoy and a Stark. Well, the same will apply to John. He doesn't have to choose. He can be a Targaryen
0: and a Stark. I just had a very not great idea. I really hope that the way that's brought back up isn't Theon Theon playing it back to John. That would Ooh. be really tough. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: God. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Theon will have drowned on his way to try to save Yara I, I by then. I just
0: really hope that <laughs> that isn't the way that he gets his very, very good advice played back at him. I really hope that's not it.
1: Yeah, oh, that, that would, would be, be really tough. tough. If we think about the Crips of Winterfell trailer— that is obviously not actual footage from the season. It is thematic. It is symbolic. And this idea of belonging, you know, the Crips of Winterfell, this sacred place for the Starks and the Starks alone. You know, we hear John tell Littlefinger he doesn't belong down there. And in the books, of course, John has these dreams about the old Kings of Winter telling him he's not a Stark and him feeling like he doesn't belong. But whose voice plays in that trailer as John is walking? Ned's. Reminding us, as you said before, it doesn't matter. If John is Ned's biological son, he's his son. He's his son, and just as John said to Theon, Ned is a part of him. What about the incest, though? I love it. We believe that Danny will probably be threatened by John's claim. Mm-hmm. Is she gonna care about the fact that she's fucking her nephew? I mean,
0: she might. <laughs> she might care a little bit, but she, again, she's a it's Targaryen. Just a touch of the incest. She's a Targaryen. This is kind of what they do. <laughs> For hundreds of years, mm-hmm. they've been marrying sister to brother.
1: She grew up thinking
0: in the books that, that aunt she was going to gonna nep- yeah, aunt marry to nephew, Viserys. nephew to aunt. So, yeah, I think this is—for her, it's not going to matter that much. I think for him, it's going to be an issue. Yeah. It's going to be a weird one. Yeah. It, like, this, House Stark just fought a war, a devastating war, to eject the fruits of incest <laughs> from the <laughs> Iron Throne. Yeah. <laughs> so, tough look there for Johnny— Danny's not going to care.
1: Can we spend just a second talking about the fact that John spent his entire life resisting the carnal urges? And then when he finally succumbed to the base pull of the human flesh, mm. he ended up fucking a wildling and then his aunt. Not exactly in line with the social norms of the realm. Yeah, the wildling.
0: And <laughs> listen, Johnny is a great guy. Obviously, uh, incredible leader, swordsman in both... I'll say. ...both <laughs> definitions of the term. Um, Tongsman. Tongsman. <laughs> but really knocked it out of the park with the two. You greet big fan. Yeah. Danny, and these are two... Two dimes. Two dimes, <laughs> incredibly talented and vibrant and fierce women. One with slightly better hygiene than the other. That's fine. Hygiene in this world is, like, just going to be hit or miss. <laughs> But who are also, just like, we're so vastly, vastly more experienced than him,: Yeah, that shouts to John, really crushing it in that respect.:
1: I just love that moment when Yeggurt's like, "A maid!" <laughs> <laughs> you are a maid. I, ah, you are trembling like a leaf. <laughs> I love them. Regardless of how John feels about the touch of incest,: Yeah,
0: it's a deep touch. <laughs> it's a deep, deep. Deep touch
1: of incest. (laughs) We know that the reason John was a virgin for so long is because growing up as a bastard, he could not abide the thought, the prospect of maybe fathering one one day. So if Danny is pregnant, if that womb is quickening, quickening, John is going to want to be a father to that child. And beyond that, just the practicality of the relationship— their alliance makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. It made a
0: lot—the reveal of John's parentage is going to complicate that significantly, but marrying the king of the north of a the vast northern part of the realm, which does not want to be part of the wider realm, well, marrying him to Danny, who wishes mm-hmm. to rule the entire realm, is just smart. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, yes, the reveal is going to complicate things. I'll just say, to go back to what you said about practicality and John not wanting to father bastards— why would, did he never learn to pull out? Mm. Just pull out. I'm not saying this for all of us that live in the world in 2019. Obviously, there's if you're looking to to avoid pregnancies, there's better ways. Yeah,
1: please don't take your birth control advice from Jason and only use the pull out method, and I mean, then have no, but, a bunch of binge no, mode no, babies it's not everywhere. What I'm, I'm not. I'm saying specifically <laughs>
0: for the for Westeros. Yeah. Where it's like, that's probably as good as it gets that, or going to Kyburn and getting something. <laughs> Kyburn! Kyburn! <laughs> getting moon tea from Kyburn. I'm just saying, like, John, you don't need to be blasting up inside e all the time.
1: And Danny, if you're worried about it, I'm just saying, if you're worried about it. Listen, when Sam said you didn't know where to put it, like,
0: and and maybe he says you don't think John Snow. It's a great so. point. Maybe he doesn't understand like, how it works. It's not, <laughs> but it's not like fucking rocket
1: science shit. Anyway. <sighs> if there is a baby, if there is a Look marriage, if there isn't, whether Danny and John are united or whether they are opposed, this idea of John's claim, this idea of whether they view each other as threats or as allies, we just have to keep in mind that. There's a pattern of Jon who, when we were first introduced to him, was very entitled, very brash. I'm the best fighter here. But then quickly transitioned into more humility and this phase of his life where he is a reluctant but very gifted leader. You know, he didn't didn't campaign to be Lord Commander. Sam put him up for it. He didn't want to go reclaim Winterfell. Sansa had to beg him. He didn't ask to be king in the north. The Lords raised him to that standing. But every time that's happened, he has gone on to rule with honor and grace and to give it not only his all, but so much of himself and so much of his conviction that it literally got him killed at one point. That's how determined he was to take his position as Lord Commander seriously. Well, realms of men, can't let them be meat for the army either. Got to protect them all. So he may not want it. But if it is given to him, if other people ask him if it is what's necessary to preserve the realm and life, he will answer the call. Speaking of life. Yes,
0: this is a great one.
1: When and how will the realm learn the truth of his resurrection and the Night's Watch exit? Why aren't more people asking how the former Lord Commander just left the night's watch because if you don't know the specifics, to you that has to look like one thing and one thing only, desertion. And yet the only person who's made the desertion claim and thrown that John's away was Ramsey. And we should say, by the way, a lot of these topics are things you can read about in depth in the mm-hmm. loose end series. Hello. On the ringer. Yeah. We'll plug it's a great, there.
0: Great, great, great series. Yeah. I think that one of the things, many things that I really love about the book, about the way George Martin builds a world, a really breathing, vibrant, pulsating mm-hmm. world. Hello. Pulsating is the way that word of mouth travels in that world. You know, people rumors and gossip and,
1: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: it's like this vast game of telephone. People hear things and it changes as the information moves across the realm.
1: This was one of the reasons that you, we were so outraged by the whole Sansa-Arya scroll rift in season seven. Because your point was, people would have known that that she had sent it and that, of course, she had been forced to.
0: One of the reveals in that moment right before uh, Arya slits Littlefinger's throat is Bran saying, you held a knife to our father's throat and said, I told you not to trust me. Mm -hmm. No one needs Bran to do that. There were hundreds of people probably (laughs) in the throne room when that happened. Right. All of them who would have left that room and been like, honey, you're not going to believe what happened at the throne room today. (laughs) Littlefinger held a knife to Ned Stark's fucking throat. Yeah. Definitely a trending topic on Westerosi Twitter. <laughs> it would have it would have just gone everywhere. And same thing here with John's resurrection. People would have been like, "Yeah, he came back from the dead." That would have <laughs> that news yeah. would be spreading like wildfire. And along with that news, if people don't believe that particular rumor, mm-hmm. because you'd be like, "Oh, bullshit." Maybe right. he was injured very badly, but give me a fucking break. Right. You'd at least people would at least be asking the question. Wait, how did he? How is he not the Lord Commander anymore? Right. That would be everywhere. And the fact that people are not doing that is...
1: Very strange.
0: Super strange. Very strange. Why is Sam not... You know, like, Sam's first question needs to be like,
1: wait, why are you not Lord Commander right (laughs) now? I have two thoughts on this. One, I wonder if the cover that allows them to basically not address this will just be that everyone has fled the wall now. Yeah. Though, two, I wonder if the way it could be raised... Is if Royce or others, I like to think that Our Lady Lyanna Mormont will stay loyal no matter what. But Glover, who knows if someone in the process of hearing about the Targaryen lineage. And John bending the knee is questioning his oaths. So maybe they bring it up then. Well, yeah. your word as Lord Commander meant nothing, right? And then he what can your him. word as King of the North mean? Now, obviously, that wouldn't be a fair assessment by the letter of the words of the pledge of the oath. He did give his life to the Night's Watch, thus absolving him and freeing him. That's a little scary to think about, actually.
0: It's interesting to me too that Bran hasn't seen it or felt it or caught any wind of it yet. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this this resurrection reveal, it's wild that more people aren't talking about it. And it's—remember the reaction when John walks out of the room supported right. by Davos. People were just like, they think you're a—remember Tormund? They think you're There's a some, god. Yes. Pecker I mean, that small. Pecker that small. But, I mean, this is legitimately amazing stuff, and it's wild that people are not talking
1: yeah, about Yeah, the thing is there are two potential ways when this surfaces, and it's reasonable to— Assume we have to assume that it will, because the other thing is we know that Danny's on to this because Davos in his very delayed hype man introduction after (laughs) you know we got all of Danny's titles, 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 and then Davos was like, "This is John," and then eventually started stumping for him and got to the point where he was about to say that he gave his life, and then John gives him the look, stops short, and later Danny says to Tyrion, "Hey, did you catch that?" Yeah, and then she sees the scar. The huge, very poorly healed scar <laughs> right over his heart. So she is on to this.
0: It's a great point because what would what would Danny do if something similar would happen to her. She would be uh, the mother of dragons, the Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, the unkillable, the unburnt, (laughs) like the immortal. Oh, absolutely. She would add
1: that to the titles, titles, titles. Absolutely. And that would
0: be part of her CV.
1: Now, of course, Dany emerging unburnt from the fire, not only Drogo's funeral pyre with the dragons, but then again in Showland from Vaes after she burned it in season six, that's rebirth imagery for her as well. So this is in theory just one more thing for them to bond over, though it could also, again, position John as a threat, because to your point about that torment quote about the members of the Night's Watch thinking John was some kind of god, there are two ways people in the realm can process this.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> One, people will view him as a godlike figure, or two, they might be afraid of him and they might not trust him. This is where it's worth remembering how someone like Varys— Spoke about Melisandra and that there could be nothing more dangerous than Stannis with a person like Melisandra by his side getting the Iron mm-hmm. Throne. Well, who brought John back? Yeah. Melisandra. So it could go that way too. Yeah. But this is our last little John item here.
0: Uh, this is an easy
1: one. Will anybody give a shit about any of this other stuff when they're enraptured watching John ride a dragon? Because. It's a lot. I mean, it's, it's a, a lock. lock.
0: It's a lock, lock, lock. It almost feels <laughs> weird to bring it up because I think all of us, you, me, everyone who watches this show, is like, "Oh yeah, he's gonna ride the dragon. He's gonna
1: ride Rhaegar. Like it's gonna happen." I mean, he's ridden the dragon in in a certain sense. But
0: I'm But I'm bum.
1: An animal like Jorah is not
0: too tired and old to
1: ride the dragon. <laughs> getting bucked off the dragon. <laughs> It really stood out to me on the rewatch: the tragedy of Dario telling Jorah he's too old to ride the dragon, and then Jorah f- basically falling off the <laughs> dragon. Very <laughs> tough for my guy. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna he's gonna ride it. That's a lock. Drogon gives him the sniff test of approval in season seven on Dragonstone. We called that, by the way. And of course, now the Viserion is with the Night King. Who is the who is the other dragon with Danny? Rhaegal, mm-hmm. named after Rhaegar. John's father. I mean, this is just, it's too perfect. And then the question becomes, because I think we, we all agree that this is a lock, what is the result of this? Is it just going to be a ride in the air with his new boo? Are they going to go scouting for something? Will the dragons allow them to escape if the Battle of Winter? Winterfell well, he's got to practice. goes he's
0: poorly? Got to, I, I would assume whenever the first thing happens, there's going to be some practicing. Will
1: he and the Night King do battle in the air? Yeah. Can't wait to find out. All right. Speaking of the Night King. Number two. Dun, dun, dun. Because, folks, that was all number one. <laughs> all the White Walker stuff. First, what do the White Walkers really want? We are 67 episodes into Game of Thrones, and we do not have an answer for this question. Well, I've got some bad news for
0: everyone. We're not going to get it. We're not, I don't think we're going to get it. Based on, so Zach Cram wrote a great piece about this very thing. What does the Night King want? You find that on TheRinger.com, a great website. And there's a (laughs) quote in there from D.B. Weiss that essentially is like the Night King was created to do this. He just wants to do what he's doing. He's like a virus or like a tornado or a hurricane, some force of nature. He's just doing what he does. And there's no greater motive than that, essentially. So I think as Zach raises in his article, maybe he's being cagey and is trying to uh, tamp down the further reveal. But that kind of rings true to me just going by how they have framed the night king thus far and the fact that there are six episodes left. I think that we're
1: probably just not going to get it. I hope that we learn more and I think there have been enough kernels along the way that indicate that there has to be some greater truth here. You know, first of all, we know because through Bran mm-hmm. we saw this that the Night King was a first man, and that the children of the forest created the White Walkers this is a classic fantasy idea, right? Sci-fi idea. Classic, classic idea. You ultimately are the vehicle of your own destruction. Yep. You you bring something into the world, and then it undoes you. Well, humans have motives. Is mm-hmm. that humanity still inside of the Night King? Is it inside of those that he then turns? Who have we seen turned into a White Walker? A human baby. Craster's babies. Mm -hmm. And as we hear Craster boast about, 99 sons. Did all of them become White Walkers other than Gilly's son, obviously, young Sam? So, What is the growth right there? We don't know. But why are they taking and converting the babies in the first place. And there's definitely agency and the ability to think rationally at play there because we know from Craster's confidence that he could just stay there and survive. What do we hear the wives say? Gift for the gods. There's some sort of deal. There's a deal. There's there's an
0: underlying deal. It's not just like the Night King is just this ravenous force. Exactly.
1: So there's agency at play there. And also just in the decision-making to leave people alive in certain scenarios to move South, now, sure, you could say fairly convincingly, while well, it's like a virus, what does a virus do? It spreads. It does seem like there's something that they're after, something that they're pursuing. So do they want to gain or control something, or do they just want to destroy? I, I really hope we get same an answer same for that. same a subset of that. Why is the Night King so interested in Jon? Why hasn't he killed him? Because there have been, or tried to, not even successfully, but tried to, because there have been a couple of times when he could have. Obviously, the stare down at Hardhome, an iconic moment. And at Frozen Lake Battle, you're telling me that the Night King, who later in that episode unleashes a perfect javelin throw to bring down a moving there, dragon. There's no
0: arc to it. It's like a laser
1: beam goes straight. Right. So he no could drop. He couldn't hit John standing still on a rock. He chose not to. Yeah. Why?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So I recently watched the, because, you know, as many of you may know, we've been rewatching Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, I watched the inside the episode for Hard Home recently, and showrunners talk about that stare down. And the way they frame it is that this is the first time Night, the Night King really becomes aware of John sees him kill one of his top lieutenants with a Valerian sword. Obviously, John right there made a crucial discovery, which is Valerian steel can harm them. Mm -hmm. The Night King has been used to just racking up Ws to this point, so he found John very interesting, and the way they frame that stare down is kind of like a nonverbal fuck you, I think is the way that Miguel Sapochnik Mm -hmm. put it, director of Hardhome, which is this kind of like, okay, you killed one of my guys and you— or theoretically a threat to me, but look at this. Look at this power. So there again, speaking to a deeper kind of motivation right. that I really hope we get to understand. Like, clearly the Night King understands that it's important to intimidate this
1: foe. Yes. I want to know more. This is a slight spoiler, not of a plot specific, but of something that an actor said while doing press, so if you don't want to hear this, zip ahead about a minute. The actor who plays the Night King, Vladimir Furtick, told Entertainment Weekly, quote, people will see he has a target he wants to kill. Now, Mm. just as with any quote from anybody who is in any way involved in Game of Thrones, we have to take it with a heaping portion of salt, not just a grain, and say maybe it's misdirection deliberately or otherwise. But, if that's true, who is that person, and what what is the significance of that? Is it John? Is it Bran? Is it John and Danny's baby? Is it Danny? Is it another dragon? Is it young Sam? You know, a Craster baby who they didn't get. What is the possibility here? The most likely answer, and then what is the significance of that? Yeah, if you had to choose between John and Bran, you'd choose Bran, wouldn't you? Well, I think it depends on whether John is actually the prophesied savior and whether in some way the Night King knows knows that. that? Right. And then that gets into the idea of Bran being the Night King perhaps or
0: Great Other versus R'hllor. Great Other
1: versus R'hllor exactly if John is the champion the Lord of Light's champion and the Night King is the Great Other's champion which is one way you could think about it then these are the opposing forces. We're going to talk about Melisandre a little bit more later but an interesting thing about that is and really in general, like, how much is the Lord of Light and Relore and that religion going to factor into the end game? Yes. Because it's been very present throughout the entire story. But I think we can say that we're not ultimately clear on where the story lands on that. Yeah. Like, how we're supposed to feel about that and think about it. Because in many ways, Melisandre is one of the most villainous characters in the you. show. That's a thing that is, to
0: me, honestly, kind of the essence of Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire is... If it all boils down to this kind of manichean duel between, mm-hmm. quote, ultimate evil, the Night King, cold, right. darkness, mm-hmm. and what R'hllor followers would frame as ultimate good, right. R'hllor, the Lord of Light, symbolized by fire and daytime. What you actually have is much more shades of gray battle here because, yeah, the, the followers of relore are just out here willy-nilly burning children and burning various people. Sure. It's,
1: Birthing smoke babies into the world
0: to kinslay so, so if, so if and what regicide. So if what it boils down to is this great chess match between two cruel gods, one who is slightly better than the other, or I guess better than the other, but still pretty bad, that's kind of interesting to mm-hmm. me. Like that's the great duel between good and evil is like the people who burn children and the guy who wants to kill everyone.
1: Well, and I think as as has been a theme throughout the story, then the question and probably the most fascinating element would be how humanity comes into play to reconcile with the the magic and the mythology. You know, how would John feel about or Danny or anyone feel about being ultimately a tool of that war? a pawn in that war when so much of the power of the story comes from the idea of making choices that determine the course of your life, of not letting who your father was or what your family name is determine who you're supposed to be. While we're on the topic of White Walkers, do our heroes have enough weapons to take them down? Now, on the one hand, something that we learned in season seven makes the answer to this an overt yes because during, f- f- <laughs> during season seven, episode six, dumb plan, beyond the wall, yeah. John slays a White Walker and all of the whites that that White Walker, they posit, had turned fall. So we refer to this as, you know, kill the one, kill the many, like the idea of the virals and the passage. Yeah. If you haven't read the passage, read it. It's great. <laughs> the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean that if the Night King falls, that's it. All the walkers are wiped out. Yeah. Now, we have evidence in the show that people think this is true because, again, in Frozen Lake Battle, Derek tells John, well, there he is. You just need to get him and then we're good. Now, obviously, getting to him is not going to be easy. <laughs> not sure if you've heard about the army of the dead. 100,000 at least. <laughs> but. That might be ultimately how this resolves. I know It's at least one possibility. Let's say that they can't get to the Night King and it's about waging war against the army, which we know is going to happen. We know that episode yeah. three is going to be the Battle of Winterfell. And crucially, we don't see the Night King in the trailer for right. that He's battle. not
0: there. Where is he?
1: Are they not showing him to us or is he actually not there? We don't know. Yeah, They're going to have to fight that army regardless. So do they have enough weapons to win?
0: In terms of Valerian weapons, that's a... Unequivocal, no. Right. These were extremely rare in Westeros, wildly expensive. You literally could not buy one. So, yeah, no on that front. But, as you noted, they've been mining the dragonglass at John's behest, and they have mm-hmm. a lot of it. You can kind of see the piles of it being worked in the trailer there in the scene where you see Gendry. Yes. Um, which is another reason why, and I hate to keep harping on this, <laughs> Barrick and Torment... <laughs> Throw a spear. Throw one spear. <laughs> Just give Loose it a sh- one arrow. That's all. <laughs> give it a shot. You could have ended this thing. Imagine if you get lucky oh. on a full court heave and end the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, anyway, that's all. So with the dragon glass, they probably have enough of that to arm everyone, and then you can see kind of like dragon glass shields and stuff. If you really pause that trailer again, and. We're assuming that the Battle of Winterfell is some form of defeat. They have to flee south. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the case, Dragonstone is essentially a, a limitless supply of of dragonglass. Right. It's just like, can you mine it in time? Right.
1: So I'm going to say, yes, they do have the weaponry. Is there any chance that—I know you're opposed to this, but let's just get it on the record one more time— that sure. they can learn how to make more Valyrian steel, I, I hope and that, that Gendry's so. role as smith is ultimately— not about being Robert's bastard that and run. being legitimized yeah. and winning a track meet and that his role is to figure out the secrets, the spells that work Valerian Steel. Separate from that, could Bran or Sam find more weapons, either like where Dark Sister is or some of the lost Valerian Steel swords, either in Sam's Scroll or in Bran's net research, or in going back to learn about the Long Night in the scrolls and through brands, Googling, (laughs) learn about other weapons that we don't yet know about. Could any of that happen?
0: I don't think so. Valerian steel, listen, the Targaryens couldn't make more. Right. And they were from Valeria, dragon lords, part of the noble leadership, a minor house, but still part of the noble leadership of that empire. And they didn't have the ability to make more, and they had dragons. Uh-huh. So you have to assume that because of that, this was an incredibly tightly held secret by like whatever the Smithing Guild of Valeria was, or the houses that controlled Smithing. And the process was some kind of a state secret and tightly held, and two, probably extremely difficult to replicate, even if you do have the recipe. Uh-huh. So I hope that that's not the case, that Gendry and Sam just, like, doing research in the books, like, kind of figures it out. It just feels like that is a little bit of a cheat
1: Yeah. To the do o- that. The only thing that I keep coming back to is that Gendry Smith for Tobo Mott, who we know from the books is one of the few armorers who could at least work Valerian steel. Right. That's not the same as knowing how to create it, right, but could at least work it. Then the other weapon that we have to talk about is dragonfire, yeah, and we know it kills whites. We do not know if it kills white walkers, so
0: an important thing that you have noted here, and that I' noticed too when I was on my rewatch is there's a scene in the door, yep, the episode the door, where Hodor's background is reeled.
1: where I think of it as the episode where we needlessly lost summer, but
0: it's very tough. Like he just jumps identify into a bunch, it how anyway. You want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the children of the forest, they're defending the entrance to the cave and they throw one of those little firebombs and they light an arc of fire mm-hmm. around the door of the cave. Mm-hmm. And there's an a camera goes to a shot that's looking down directly above the fire yep. and you see the whites recoil from yep. the flames, but the it white stops them. the white walkers just walk on through. And that was right. Right very through. deliberately done yep. to let us know that at least some kind of magical fire, because that's obviously, like, not just regular fire. That's, mm-hmm. you know, created by the Children of the Forest with those little eggs. Egg. There's at least <laughs> there's at least some level of magical fire that, while it can kill whites, does not even phase White Walkers. Does that stand for dragon fire, TBD, but it's at least on the table
1: that they would be resistant to it? hmm And we also have to wonder what's going to happen if Viserion's flames— Meet Drogon or Rhaegal's flames. And speaking of Viserion, just want to spend 30 seconds here on another White Walker-centric question that candidly had never occurred to me until about three weeks ago. And now I can't stop thinking about it, <laughs> even though you keep telling me that I'm wrong. I, no, I don't. Well, I, okay. just,
0: I disagree with it. But go, I'm continue. not even convinced. I,
1: I'm not necessarily convinced that it's true. I just think it's worth thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Is Viserion maybe a White Walker and not a White? Mm-hmm. And if so, does it matter? Now, after we saw him fall in season seven, episode six, and then the Night King raise him, and then mm-hmm. after we saw him come in, enter the fray, come into the battle to bring down the portion of the Wall by Eastwatch in the season seven finale, we all were referring to him as a White. But subsequently. The script for that episode, for the season seven finale, has made its way out into the world, as these things often do. And he is referred to not as a white, but as an ice dragon. And he is compared not to the whites, but to Craster's baby, Mm. saying that the Night King has done to him what he did to Craster's baby. There's like, I'm forgetting the exact phrasing, but there's like an iconic line that says, basically... He was a baby and this is a dragon. <laughs> like it's the same, right, except right, right. he was a baby and this is a dragon. <laughs> it's very funny. So there are the clues in the script. And then also, if we then, with that in mind, reassess what actually happened, how have we seen the Night King raise whites, raise the army of the dead, lifting his arms, right? Very traumatic, loves to flex. How did he convert Crosser's baby? Touched, touched him. Touched him on the cheek. How did he actually wake Viserion? Touch him. Touched, Touched him. Touched him. What do his eyes look like? They're that vibrant, fiery blue. They're not that milky pale blue that we see on whites. And while we do not know the exact makeup of the fire, is it ice? Is it fire? Is it icy fire? It's fire of some mm-hmm. variety. And we know that fire kills whites. So you would think that if he were a white and he were emitting fire, he would literally be tearing himself apart. So why does this potentially matter? Because if he's a walker and not a white, he's sentient. And what have we heard from Danny time and time again? A dragon is not a slave. If he is a sentient being, can he be warged by Bran? We're going to get into the Bran stuff in a second here. So we'll sit on that for now. Final thing about the walkers for now. Mm-hmm. This gets back to the idea of what might they be after? What might they want? Why? Is this massive battle taking place at Winterfell? Is it just because it's in the north? Is it just because of geography? Just, just, or is there a story-centric reason? Right. Is something in the crypts of Winterfell that the White Walkers need or want? I'm going to say I hope so and I think so.
0: Okay. I think certainly the crypts have always been central to this story. Ned, John, Robert have needed to kind of re-engage with their past, mm-hmm. with their roots Sansa and and Arya, Bran and Rickon when they were hiding. They go to the crypts. Uh The crypts have always been there as a place of secrets, but also of deep tradition and roots, and roots that go down so far that the Starks aren't even aware of how far they go down. Right. So something is there. Something's there.
1: Is it the Great Other, perhaps? I don't
0: don't know. Why isn't the Night King the Great Other then?
1: Well— Maybe he is, or maybe he is a soldier of the Great Other. Either of those could be true. So this is where it could come into play either way. Either if the Great Other is there, because what do we not know? We don't know why Winterfell is named Winterfell. Is it literally the site where Winterfell, Winter fell when the first long night ended because Bran the Builder raised Winterfell and what, it, what was built first, the crypts and the The first keep, which is over the crypts, it's not unreasonable to deduce that there's some ancient magic that is being encased in there. And Winterfell is built on hot springs, right? The walls always warm. What do we know about the crypts? Freezing cold. Maybe the heart of winter is actually contained in there. So perhaps the Night King is trying to unleash that. Or you could look at it the other way. And if you think the Night King is the Great Other, maybe this is where winter can fall again, where he could be encased by that magic again. I think that there's something definitely down there.
0: I will say that if it's the great other, then this is like brand the builder's design thinking is not top notch. Like, why build a wall <laughs> couple hundred miles north of where the actual great <laughs> other is? Like build the wall, just move it south. <laughs> build a wall couple hundred miles south and just wall it off that way or build two walls. I you don't know.
1: know. I like this. It's like multiple layers of defense. <laughs> Now, obviously, as we've said, the crypts serve at a primary level, a function of identity, if nothing else. And of course, Lyanna's tomb being in there, we both really love the idea, at least in the books, that Rhaegar's harp or some other tangible proof of their relationship Mm -hmm. might be down there. But it's fun to think about, and a dragon, of course. It's fun to think about the magic that might be encased there or could be encased there as it pertains to the walkers.
0: And now a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today's episode
1: of Binge Mode is brought to you by
0: ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy. And you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter.com slash binge.
1: ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there.
0: With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience, invites them to
1: apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one spotlights the top candidates, so you never miss a great match.
0: ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day.
1: And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash binge.
0: That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-I-N-G-E.
1: ZipRecruiter.com slash binge.
0: ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
1: Today's Binge Mode is also brought to you by Stamps.com.
0: No one really has time to go to the post office. You're busy.
1: That's why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com lets you print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any package. Any class of mail, anywhere you want to send.
0: Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that
1: simple. With Stamps.com, you even get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail.
0: Stamps.com, I've been using the service for a few weeks and I found it really easy and efficient as a way to send mail. And to save
1: time, we're busy here at Binge Mode and this is really helping us be more efficient.
0: Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term
1: commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Binge.
0: That's Stamps.com,
1: enter Binge. Today's Binge Mode is also brought to you by Sonos.
0: Sonos True Play puts the speaker tuning capability of the recording pros in the palm of your hands, optimizing the speaker's sound for the unique acoustics of your room.
1: Sonos Home Theater also includes speech enhancement mode to clarify the sound of the human voice. Perfect for when characters whisper or the action intensifies. Simply turn it on in the Sonos app and never miss a minute of the story.
0: Sonos works with all your streaming services and is easy to control with the Sonos app. Your TV remote, AirPlay 2, your voice,
1: and Amazon Alexa
0: or the touch panel.
1: Sonos speakers and components work seamlessly together, making it easy to customize your sound system and expand when you're ready.
0: Simply connect Sonos over Wi-Fi and enjoy listening in every room.
1: When we're doing binge mode, when we're doing Talk to Thrones, Ask the Maester, anything, we have to be able to hang on every word. And sometimes these characters do whisper a lot of accents, a lot of people talking over each other, yelling, cursing. We gotta be able to hear it all, and Sonos helps us do that.
0: The subwoofer makes the dragon sounds absolutely incredible. Shakes the living room.
1: Go to Sonos.com to order your sound system today.
0: That's S-O-N-O-S.com. And now back to binge mode. Number three, all the brand stuff, let's get right to it, is brand the Night King.
1: I hope not. I think (laughs) I hope not too. It does seem like a lot of evidence is pointing toward the answer to that being yes. I think we've both been keeping it in mind during our most recent rewatch. And boy, it's compelling.
0: There's a relationship there at the very least. Yes.
1: How is it that the Night King is able to see Bran when Bran is, capitalizes on the then Three-Eyed Raven taking a nap and goes unattended into the roots of the Weirwood network, and the Night King sees him and then touches him and yeah. marks him and is then, through that connection, able to enter the Three-Eyed Raven's cave at last. We don't have an explanation yet for how that happened. Could it be because they are one and the same and he is seeing himself? Because that has happened and thus can happen? When he returns and says, he saw me. And the then three-eyed raven is yeah. like, he touched you, he marked you, he was on his way. It certainly seems as though the three-eyed raven, of course, with the thousand eyes and one, yeah. who, when they all arrive, says, I've been watching you all your lives. I know, I know everything. You know, they came, even though he knew what was going to happen. He's been expecting this. And in those final precious moments, what does he choose right. to show Bran? Great Bran plan. making Hodor these moments that all connect to who Bran is, what his power is, and to who John
0: is. Here's a thing that I've been really struggling with the whole time. And to the Night King's creation. Right. Here's a part of this that I've really been struggling with, especially on my rewatch. What does the Three-Eyed Raven do? What's the job? Mm -hmm. Right? Obviously, it's an important one, or... Bloodraven, a.k.a. the Three-Eyed Raven, would not have been so eager to earmark Bran from such an early age and call him north and have him take his place. What are you doing? What if it's something like guardian of the fabric of reality? Mm -hmm. So say Bran affected the past at some point in the past. A Bran in some timeline did this thing, the Hodor thing, and that Every time that happens it's like a loop that has to be maintained. Mm-hmm. You have to do it again when it comes up again or else everything falls apart. What if it's something like that? The three-eyed raven, the reason the three-eyed raven's like, "Well, I got to take you back and we got to do this thing now," is a core part of his job responsibility is to make sure that brand did that again or else some something bad happens. Like the timeline falls apart, the fabric of reality falls apart unless that particular
1: thing happens again. So these things are connected. Is Bran the Night King and can Bran change the past? They don't have to be connected, but Mm -hmm. in terms of how we think about them as possibilities, they are connected because all of these things are are intertwined. With Hodor, Mm -hmm. this is where the Three-Eyed Raven's comment about the ink being dry comes into play, but also where his comment about it's lovely beneath the sea, but you stay too long, you drown, Mm -hmm. comes into play. He wants Bran to believe that nothing can change, and yet he's warning him directly that if he lingers, if he shouts out to He'll Ned drown. and Ned hears yeah. him, his this whisper on the wind, be trapped there. that something yeah. that shouldn't happen could. Is that actually a warning to prevent it to happen, or is that a kernel that he's planting because it has happened and he needs Bran to understand his power? We know that Bran has... Unprecedented power. Mm-hmm. We've known this since he first warged into Hodor in the little lighthouse, right? in the
0: reaction from Jojen and, right. and
1: Osha—no one was just can do absolutely that. shocked. No one can do that. So Hodor is Hodor the entire time that we have been in this story, been with Bran, been with Hodor. When we see him as Willis, and then Bran comes back and sees Hodor on the present day and says, "You know, you could talk." What happened? And it's like devastating because the answer to what happened is him, but it had already happened. Right. And it's happening again to maintain a timeline so that Bran understands his power. When he shouts out to Ned, when he shouts Father at Tower of Joy and Ned turns, the look on the Three-Eyed Raven's face there is like devastation. Yeah. What do we hear Osha say to Bran when he's by the wherewood at Winterfell? Well, who do you think sends the wind? Yeah. This idea that these forces, the gods, the Three-Eyed Raven, this network, this power is actually impacting events of the world, is there in the story. But this is where the idea of Bran being the Night King, I think, becomes tough to swallow. So it's all a puppeteering act? Someone else is in control? The choices of the characters don't matter? That is not an appealing outcome. So the question, I think, is, in addition to is this true, if it is true, how can we reconcile that with the forces of willpower Mm. and agency that all the other characters have.
0: It's an interesting question. The solution that I lean towards is, while Bran is not one-to-one the Night King, he in some way caused it to happen. I'd just like to point out, I don't know how important this is, that the two people that Bran has affected while in the past are people that he knows. Mm -hmm. Ned and Hodor and
1: the Night King. And again, that the Three-Eyed Raven deliberately took him to those moments, other than when the Night King touched him and Bran was on his own, to show him that when it had already happened. So
0: can he, for instance, could he go into the past and and speak to someone who doesn't know him, who he doesn't know, who's a complete stranger to him? Is the ink dry in that case unless you have some kind of personal history and connection with the people outside of the Weirwood roots? There's just so much we don't know about how this works. um, And I'm so eager to know more. Will Willbrand warg dragon. We don't know if he can even warg white's and white walkers. He's got to try, right? It's one of the things that
1: people, you will fly. Yes, you will fly. You fl- will fly. Well, he's flown already through the dragons. Sure. Ravens. Sure. But could so, this could this ultimately prophetic line still come into play where the dragons are concerned? Yeah. And then you could interpret that in a dark way too. If he is the night king, could he then take control of the other dragons? And use them for ill. That's a very upsetting thing to think about. But we have to keep in mind that Game of Thrones is not a happy story. What's the Ramsey line, right? If you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. So we can say, oh, we don't want, you know, we don't want, we don't want. And I think the the key that we both want to stress is what we really want is for the rules of the universe to make sense and for the characters. Zach Cram wrote a great piece about this and the idea of consequence, That has always been the thing about Thrones that has really, other than just the sheer, like, heft and scope of the universe, separated it from so many other stories, is characters reap what they sow consistently. That has to continue to be true in the endgame. It can't just be Danny and Jon fall in love, have a baby, get married, rule and fend off evil and usher in the new dawn and everyone's happy. That's not what the story is. So if Bran is the Night King— Again, hope this isn't true. But if he is, one of the ways that that could actually work quite effectively is the idea of John having to kill Bran in order to defeat evil. That feels very Thronesian to me. Yeah. Man.
0: I think it's notable that the Night King himself killed the Three-Eyed Raven. He didn't let one of his generals do it. They waited for Mm -hmm. him to show up so that he could do it.
1: And the Three-Eyed Raven knew that was going to happen.
0: Yeah. What he said it's
1: time. So if the Three-Eyed Raven is some
0: sort of guardian of the timeline or something like that, keeping everything stable— What if this is the ultimate way to kill humanity is to just like have the entire world fall apart, not just like reduce it to ice, but actually like dissolve it because the person making sure that all these weird little loops and details that have been established at some point outside of time in the past or wherever – Continue to happen is no
1: longer there to do it. But do you think the show has laid any groundwork? Zero. for, Yeah, to <laughs> <can> pull that <laughs> it's, laid, six it's laid zero, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> um, that said, it's not like the books have laid all that more. There right. are some, but like we haven't even seen
1: whoever the. King White Walker is. You right. know what I mean? So, like. So, here's another thing that's interesting to think about. Just like the way you're describing the Three Eyed Raven as, in essence, this guardian. And so much of what we understand about his relationship with Bram was basically just about training him up to replace him because he seemed to know that he was going to exit at this exact moment in time. Mm-hmm. What if there's something similar about the Night King? Like, he needs a replacement too. Interesting. I like that. Because <laughs> I keep, a thing I keep thinking about. I can't shake this. Of all the things I can't shake, I can't shake this. Every actor in the show talking about how the ending was something that no one has seen coming. And Now, is that just bullshit? Probably. Like, it's probably just posturing because they don't want to say, like, well, yeah, oh, I've seen a lot of Reddit theories about the end of Game of Thrones. Everyone figured it out already. They're not going to say that. But, like... Thinking about John in particular, what's an ending that we haven't foreseen for John? You know, we talk about him living. We talk about him dying. We talk about him ruling with grace. We talk about him ruling reluctantly. We talk about the f- prospect of him having to achieve victory by killing someone close to him. Could he Nisa Nisa Danny? I don't really think that that's, in the year 2019, gonna, Game of Thrones can end with the white happen. boy killing the female would, heroine. And to go <gasps> further, he's got the magic sword already. True. But— <laughs> What if he has to hand himself over to Winter in order like to that. save everyone else? This yeah, idea of sacrifice—he'd gl- gladly do it. He too. would think about it. He'd gladly do it. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, when we think about what Bran is going to be able to uncover, just as Bran as a three-eyed Raven now, regardless of the Night King connections, can he and Sam find more Children of the Forest? And if so, can the Children of the Forest unlock something crucial about how the Long Night ended the first time and what? This version, Last Hero Redux, Last Hero 2.0 would have to do. Are there more children left? There have to be,
0: right? And there's got to be somewhere hidden caves, somewhere maybe beyond the wall or on the Isle of Faces. Mm-hmm. There has to be. That can't be all of them.
1: It cannot be. It would be wild if they were introduced to the story on the show just to throw a few grenades. And that's it. <laughs> um, I can only imagine that there are more.
0: All right, before we go on, let's quickly hit our custom segment sponsored by Oreo.
1: Oreo has teamed up with Game of Thrones to create limited edition packaging and cookies embossed with the sigils of three remaining contending houses, as well as the symbol of the Night King. Oreo cookies are best enjoyed when dunked into milk. Who got dunked on this week? Well, as usual, heading into a new season of Game of Thrones, we're rewatching. Mm-hmm. We're binging. Mm-hmm. Nothing but love for my guy, Jorah Mormont, but... Oh. <sighs> It's dunked on, dunked right into that friend zone when they're coming back from sacking Yunkai, claiming Yunkai for Danny. And Jorah looks at her with such love in his eyes. What does she say? She asks about Dario. It's a tough look. He got dunked on.
0: (laughs) That is a dunk. I've got one. How about Viserion getting javelined? My poor dude very sad. Got Javelin by the Night King, got dunked on pretty hard and then you know what? He got turned into a white dragon. Maybe a white walker dragon too.
1: Now he can blaze the path to more Oreo cookies.
0: Thanks to Oreo and head to oreo.com and pledge your fealty to the house or Night King of your choice and tune into Game of Thrones on Sunday on HBO.
1: Number 4, you wrote about this today. Yeah, on the ringer.com great website. Who's the prince that was promised? Who's Azor High? Who's the last hero? Who's the stallion who mounts the world? And is anyone? Is it more than one person?
0: I think that... Is it no one? I think that the stallion who mounts the world... If that's anyone, it's Danny. She's already fulfilled part of that, which is she has become the great call. Right. Uniting the Khalasar. Uniting the Khalasar under one leader. She killed all the other leaders. Mm-hmm. She is that person. Yes. That's Agreed. unequivocal at this point. So let's go, Prince that was promised Azor. This is never spelled out. As I write in my piece and as you can see for yourself when you read the books, this is never spelled out, but it is suggested that Azorahai was this original legendary hero who, with magic sword, lightbringer that he forged after many tries by plunging it into the chest of his wife, very tough, <laughs> um, turning back the great other and ultimate evil all those years ago, and that the prince of the, that was promised is the reincarnation of this hero who will appear under a bleeding star, reborn amidst smoke and salt. Now, who do we think that is? The way prophecy plays out in Game of Thrones, it's a very Greek mm-hmm. tragedy kind of thing, yep. and very Oedipal, yes. where it's like there's two ways to go about it. Either you kind of just live your life and the stars are lying, or the more dangerous version is a person with power attempting to either become the prophecy or avoid it just brings down tragedy and heartbreak and death upon right. themselves.
1: So Cersei trying to a- avoid Maggie the Frog's yes. prophecy for her entire life thus fulfilling it or Stannis Baratheon and right, Melisandre thinking and convincing Stannis that he was the prince which, which obviously <laughs> disastrous <results.
0: laughs> which led to, you know, thousands of dead on the battlefield, the death by burning of many 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 people including his daughter So that's awful, too. Um, (laughs) And then another thing to point out that I think is important is that The Last Hero is different from these other three in that it's not a prediction. It's a story about a thing that happened in the past that may or may not be accurate. Mm -hmm. And I think it is notable that both The Prince Who slash That Was Promised and The Last Hero stories both really seem to fit John. Yes. I think so Bleeding Star. Mm -hmm. uh, And I Write about this in my piece, and this is not something that I figured out. This has been out there for a while. But So in the scene when the Tower of Joy, after Ned defeats the Sword of the Morning, Sir Arthur Dane, and he bursts into the tower and he leans Dawn, Sir Arthur's fabled sword made from a meteorite, against the bed, what's on the pommel is Uh an inlay of the sun. Yep. Right next to the bloody sheets uh-huh. um, of Liana's bed, a bleeding The bed st- of blood. The bed of blood. A bleeding star. Reborn amidst smoke and salt. Who's in the room when John is resurrected? Melisandra, red priestess, worshiper of Relore, the fire god, smoke. Is she a ham? Is she a ham? And <laughs> Sir Davos Seaworth, a notable captain, mm-hmm. salt from the seawater. Yep. I think you can make a compelling case that John is the prince who was promised. And then I think if you go to the last hero, I'll just read what old Nan says. There's also just
1: literally the fact that Liana's dying words to Ned are promise. Yeah, promise me. me.
0: I mean, it's all right. she
1: hands him over. It's all right there. And
0: then, well, the other thing I, I love about the way this story lays out prophecy and George has done it is that. All this stuff just falls into place and it only makes sense in retrospect. It's Mm -hmm. not anything you can chase. Then there's the last hero, and in old Nan's words, in Game of Thrones, the first book in the series— So as cold and death filled the earth, the last hero determined to seek out the children in the hopes that their ancient magics could win back what the armies of men had lost. Uh Uh-huh. He set out into the Deadlands. (laughs) Uh-huh. With a sword, a horse, a dog. Uh Uh-huh. And a dozen companions. For years he searched until he despaired of ever finding the children of the forest in their secret cities. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. One by one, his friends died. Uh Uh-huh. And his horse. Uh Uh-huh. And finally his dog. Sorry, Mal. (laughs) And his sword froze so hard, the blade snapped when he tried to use it. Now, later on in the series, in A Feast for Crows, Sam is speaking with Jon about other research he's looked into in The Long Night. And they he brings up the last hero again and says, yeah, it says in here that the last hero slayed White Walkers with a blade of dragon steel. Right. And Jon goes, oh, Valerian, you, Valerian steel? steel. And Sam was like, yeah, I thought that might be it. Yep. You know, I think it's pretty clear that the last hero is Jon. And I think it's pretty clear that he's the prince who was promised (laughs) as well.
1: But there are other candidates. I agree, certainly, that it's John. Though I like the idea of multiple characters fulfilling this, and the nature of somebody like Melisandre. Though, of course, she has since said that she thinks it could be John and Danny together, and that her role is to unite Fire and Ice. But of course, John is Ice and Fire. He's already already. We talked about this a lot with Harry Potter because there's a prophecy, right? What is a prophecy? A prophecy is the idea that your destiny has been determined for you. But what is one of the central tenets of both of these stories? Choice. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, the fact that John is one of the only characters who doesn't think he's the chosen one (laughs) and, more crucially, doesn't want to be makes him best equipped, ultimately, to fulfill it. Now, could they do it together? Absolutely. Could their child? Perhaps, but John is best equipped. We should
0: note that Danny's got some stuff going for too, depending how you date the red comet yep. from season two and book two. You could say that her reemergence from, from Drogas' pyre. F- funeral mm-hmm. pyre coincided with the appearance of that bleeding star in the sky. Certainly, smoke from the funeral pyre and tears from Miri Mazdur <laughs> weeping as she burned to death. Yeah. Uh, I think you could say that she Certainly. also feels those things. And as Aemon says in the books, dragons have no gender, right? And then, as Miss Sandy says in the show, which is kind of the adapted version, the word for prince in Valerian is genderless. So right. prince and princess, same word, right? It's contextual.
1: Interestingly, in the books, Aemon originally thought Rhaegar was the prince, and yes. then switched to yep. thinking it was Danny. Rhaegar crucially thought he himself was the prince, then, and then then switched it up to who? His son Aegon. Well. The Aegon with Alaria. But guess who's also his son Aegon? Elia, Aagon? excuse me. Right. John. And we don't ultimately know why Rhaegar annulled his marriage with Elia and remarried with Lyanna. Were they truly in love? Yes. Elia could not have children anymore. Yeah. Right? So he needed maybe to produce another heir because he was determined to produce the prince. This Ray- is at least worth considering. Rhaegar
0: would be one of those parents who got busted getting his kid into like a top <laughs> university. <laughs> listen,
1: my uh, he's part of Operation University. A hundred
0: percent. He's like, but listen, my son is the prince that was promised. We have to get him into a top top university.
1: <laughs> oh man, incredible! I've always just been really torn on this because on the one hand, I am most invested in John as a character, and I fully believe that he fulfills. Every requirement here, but I also think that one of the ideas of the story is that the prophecies are not actually to, meant to be interpreted the way that we think. I and agree. so, the idea of John and Danny fulfilling this together is is also pretty compelling. You mentioned a word in High Valerian that has maybe been mistranslated. Bomb, bomb, Where gender is concerned, right. it's time to talk about the Valonqar which Cersei, after she hears this from Maggie the Frog, thinks means little brother, and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. We're going to get into that. Will Jamie fulfill the Valancar prophecy by killing Cersei? Yes. I agree.
0: And I say yes for two reasons. One, I th- really believe that that is what's going to happen. And two, I almost feel like you're derelict if that's not what happens. <laughs> so it kind of has to happen. And then the other thing is, you noted this. So the show version of the Maggie the Frog prophecy— yep crucially leaves out, and when your tears have drowned you, the Valancar shall wrap his hands around your pale white throat and choke the life from you. Mm -hmm. To me, (laughs) it's very much like a Streisand effect thing where it's like you're leaving it out because it's too telling. Mm
1: -hmm. It's
0: just too telling. Mm -hmm. So I believe that that is what will
1: happen. (laughs) Yeah, I feel the same way. Now, again, the idea that maybe the word was interpreted incorrectly It could just be a younger sibling. It doesn't necessarily have to be a man. You know, Danny is certainly a younger sibling. Arya is a younger sibling. Yara, younger sibling of brothers who we never met. Many people on the internet have fallen in love with the theory that Arya, of course Cersei is on her kill list, would fulfill the Valonqar prophecy wearing Jaime's face. I really hope that doesn't happen, but it could. What will trigger Jaime? What will finally push him to do this? Obviously, they separated at long last in the season seven finale when Cersei revealed that the whole Euron display in the dragon pit was a premeditated farce and that he was not fleeing, but in fact, going to Essos. And well done, I should add. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, great actor. Committed to his, <laughs> to his role. Very method actor, really, you know, just lives the part. To get the Golden Company. And that Cersei had no intention of pledging her forces to the livings' fight against mm-hmm. the dead. Jamie, horrified, not only that Cersei had made this decision without consulting him, but that she had made this decision at all and thought this was right and okay, left at last. The rifts, obviously, had been there since Jamie returned yes. to King's Landing from his imprisonment. Yes. Literally says that things have changed. What's changed? Something's changed. And Cersei says, everything's changed. <laughs> when he returns from his siege in the Riverlands, and sees that she has brought down the Sept, obviously does not actually leave at that point, but can't help but realize that he's looking upon basically the exact thing that he sacrificed his reputation yep. to try to prevent mm-hmm. when he stopped the Mad King from using wildfire to mm-hmm. lay the city low. What could happen that finally incites this? Seems like the most likely thing would be something happening to Brienne, who Jamie loves. Their relationship is one of the purest and most essential elements of the show at this point. And if she falls at the Battle of Winterfell and Jamie thinks that it's because there weren't enough troops there, that Cersei could have actually helped her. Or it's because of some betrayal by Cersei. Yes. Or maybe she will actually send the Golden Company to attack a vulnerable force. Feels like that could be the thing that finally does it. Or maybe it could be something with the baby. Yeah, he looked
0: shocked when she revealed the child.
1: Could it in be that, Euron's child after yeah, all? I think it we're is. We're gonna get to the we're gonna get to the baby. I think it is in, in, in a the second bum, here. Well, let's let's, let's the... talk about the baby. That's the next part. Yeah. How can Cersei be pregnant given Maggie's prophecy, which spells out the three children? Now, the show has already violated the tenets of that language because in season one, when Cersei is speaking to Cat after Brand's fall, right. She talks about this black haired beauty, this first baby that she and Robert had that died. died. Having another child would not seem to align with the math of what Maggie said. Is Cersei gonna lose this baby or perhaps die in childbirth? Are either of those possible? Because that is another really upsetting thing to think about, but another possible interpretation of the Valancar. This is a, a younger sibling, too, younger sibling to her other children. I kind
0: of like the dying
1: in childbirth
0: angle, if done. Creatively, but I still feel like it's got to be Jamie. It has to. It's too symmetrical.
1: Yeah, I think that she is going to lose the baby. I think that if you look at the trailer really closely, there are shots where she looks absolutely despondent. Mm. And the only tether to humanity for Cersei His and redeeming His family quality has been family and her love for her children. If all of her children are gone and Jamie's gone, she has nothing left. She will be utterly broken. And that's when that idea of when your tears have drowned you comes into play, when she is absolutely at the bottom of this pit. Another line from Maggie's Prophecy, who's the younger and more beautiful queen destined to unseat Cersei? Cersei, obviously, she spent all her life thinking Tyrion was the Valonqar, and she spent all her life, once Marjorie entered it, thinking... Marjorie. to be fair to her, looked like a great candidate yeah. for it. I mean, <laughs> she... Wiped the Tyrells off the earth and blew up the sept of Baylor to eliminate that possibility. Yeah. Now, the most logical deduction is that it's Danny and that yeah. it has always been Danny. But Danny's not the only person. It could be Sansa. It could, it could be, be Yara. Yep. What do you think? I think it's Danny. Yeah, I, I, we, there's no need to overthink it. I agree. Yeah, yeah.
0: Ooh, here's an interesting one Is that womb quickening? Is Danny really barren? she believes she is this is a kind of thing that the show has been very vague about it's never spelled out in the show why she believes this though clearly her let's estimated it like several thousands low thousands of encounters with dario clearly (laughs) did not result in a child
1: so i think she's fair to assume that now she tells john tells john the witch who murdered my husband told me, but we don't hear She, she never actually say it on the show. She
0: never actually says that in the show. In the books, uh-huh. here is the language that Miri gives to her after Danny is like, wait a second, why, why is Drogo like this? When is he going to come back to right. himself? Miri says, when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, when the seas go dry and the mountains blow in the wind like leaves, when your womb quickens again and you bear a living child, then he will return and not before. In other words, never. Uh-huh. Now. In the books, yep. it is heavily suggested that, certainly in the, by the last book, that her womb has begun to quicken again. That's after what we'll,
1: Drogon after has dr- rescued her from the fighting pits. Right. She
0: finds herself out in the great grass sea and blood issuing from her quickening womb. Do we believe that she is barren in the
1: show? Absolutely not.
0: I, I agree. This is another this is another Streisand effect, much like the hand around your pale white throat that they're like, okay, let's take that out because it's kind of too.
1: But then they have since introduced it by having Danny reference it right. so many times, you know, telling John, they're the only children I'll ever have, do you understand? When she's talking about her dragons. She tells Tyrion this, he brings it up to her when he's talking about the importance of thinking about the succession strategy and what that would look like. And she's basically like, you can't wait for me to be dead, huh? Yeah. Also, you're not a hero, huh? And then she brings it up with John again in the dragon pits, and he pushes her on it. And this is the verbal equivalent of the wall existing. Mm-hmm. This is Chekhov's I'm barren," right? You don't... <laughs> <Chekhov's> continue- <laughs> I'm Baron. <laughs> you don't have... The character in question continue to say this, and then the guy she's about to fuck ask her if she's sure it's true, and then have that's them fucking, fuck well, while I, we're learning that they're related. That's, uh, well, that's, I think, if you they're know, not going to conceive a child,
0: uh, responsible of John in that moment to be like, do I need to wrap this thing up, or just <laughs> 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 strap this thing up, or
1: what? Oh, we good. Incredible. <laughs> While we're on the subject of Danny and prophecies, Danny's House of the Undying vision, much, much, much more complex and involved mm-hmm. in the books than on the show. On the show, Danny walking through the throne room in ruins, roof blasted away, melted away, yeah. snow falling in. We've also seen that image in Brand's visions. There are a couple snippets from visions that we have seen that have not come to fruition on the show yet. This is one of very, very few remaining. I think we agree that this is the future. This is yeah. what is going to happen to the Red Keep. The question now is, is Danny going to bring that about with her dragons attacking Cersei? Or, or is Viserion going to with the Night King? Or is there more wildfire? Because when Jamie is listing all the locations to Brienne and the bathtub in Harrenhal... He goes out of his way to mention that there's un- some under the Red Keep. Is it possible that we could see a third wildfire usage? I think the reason that the answer to that is no is just because the structure is largely in place. Yeah. It does seem like, much like we know about Harrenhal and how it melted, an attack from above. The roof is gone, and the snow, winter falling in. I do think it's going to be the Night King or something like that. You know, in the
0: final attack on King's Landing, because you know when you think about it, like what better way to embody the idea of breaking the wheel and shattering this central structure around which the entire realm is arranged uh-huh. in it in honestly like a very artificial way you know like as many have pointed out what right did Aegon Targaryen have to the throne none he just had three dragons yep. so I think it would just be wonderful symmetry for dragons to have essentially built this kingdom uh-huh. And another dragon to come in and destroy it. I
1: agree completely. Yeah, I think that there's a way that that could also happen if the humans are the victors and they choose to melt down the Iron Throne. But stay tuned because we're coming to that in a little while. Dun, dun, dun.
0: Quaith, you wrote about Quaith. Oh, Quaithy. Do you think, I don't think she comes back in the show. There's just not time. There's just not time. They can't do it. It's like, shouts to my Quaith heads, shouts to my (laughs) Kinvara heads. (laughs) Flame of truth! (laughs) Flame of truth! (laughs) Man, I'll tell you what, Uh, Quaith and Kinvara came in hot. Oh my God. And you're like, oh, this is going to be important, man. I've got to, oh, they're going to play a role in things to come. Kinvara coming in here, freaking
1: out Varys. Where's she been? Have not seen my girl. I would love a Kinvara spinoff. She was electric. (laughs) Slave of truth. Even ultimately if Quaith never comes back into play, she fulfilled a function with Jorah specifically. Having us believe when he said it with such conviction. Never. Never. Never betrayed Danny again. And then also, obviously, there's Valeria Grayscale foreshadowing there with him because she's painting a man to offer him protection. Anyone who sails through the ruins must have protection. All right. Number five. Mm -hmm. Will we get? Some of the promised showdowns that we have been anticipating for so long. Let's start with Melisandra versus, and not to be hyperbolic, like basically literally everyone. Yeah, <laughs> so many people have vendettas against her or some sort of stated future showdown with mm-hmm. her. Let's talk about a few of them in particular. Arya, Gendry, Davos, Jon, and Varys. Arya first. Arya,
0: I think it's a lock.
1: Guaranteed. Guar- right? You have to do it. Yes. This is one of those things where the show gives us something so intentionally and so deliberately that to not follow through on it would be almost unthinkable. It
0: would be wild to not do it.
1: They've only interacted once. It was, of course, when Melisandre fetched Gendry for his kingly
0: blood. For the the cock blood, as we like to say (laughs) here.
1: Melisandre says to Arya, I see a darkness in you, and in that darkness, eyes staring back at me, brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes. Eyes, you will shut forever. We
0: will meet again bum, bum, bum. Arya, lock. Gendry, I, I don't think it's that important. Maybe. Gendry and Arya, we would assume, will be, hopefully, mm-hmm. close. <laughs> so they might. Davos, I don't think it's going to happen. We've already seen a moment from last season where Melisandre intentionally avoided Davos and Jon. So I think no. Jon, I think the Varus thing, yes, because she... There's a, there's a linkage there. So that's the moment. She's on the cliff. She's looking down at Jon right. and Davos walking into Dragonstone and Varys and her talking. And she says, yeah, I'm going. I'm leaving. Yes. I'm going back east. But I'm coming back because like you, it is my destiny to die in this place. Yep. There's something that they're going to do together, I think. Or they have. there's one more relation. There's some other thing that they need to do. And I think that Melisandre, she needs a mission. She's mm-hmm. a mission person. hmm And she really didn't have that after the death of Stannis, was sorely doubting herself. And now
1: I think she understands what it is. We don't know what it is. She worked to bring John and Danny together. And she's not going to be able to stay out of the fight if they are actually battling the
0: Night King. What if it's this? What if in order to create more either Valerian steel or Lightbringer or something, she goes, brings some sword back or some other thing, and then she niss and nisses and is like, now plunge it into my chest.
1: Love it. See, that's because I don't think she and Varys can be united because he is so opposed to this magic and obviously from his own mutilation has always hated Mm. magic and those who wield it. But if he got to take her out, I'm sure he'd be up for that.
0: Yeah, I think that she's going to come back with, like, some secret that is integral to defeating the Night King. Her
1: dying either because she has betrayed the cause once more with her vileness or because she is fulfilling some sort of essential function to finally complete her mission and further her goal. And the Lord of Light's goal, That's that seems right. Next, Clay game ball. Yeah, we don't even need to spend a lot of time. It's a lock. On. It's a lock. hell literally p- told they us p- in the season seven finale yes. that it's happening.
0: He walked up to his brother and said, remember me? And basically promised that they'd meet again. So we got that. Great. C, what role will the <laughs> Golden Company play? This is interesting. Yes. You go first because I have like a slightly deeper, perhaps
1: tinfoil take on it. Okay. Well, we're being introduced to this sword mercenary army, 20,000 strong, we know from Cersei, elephants and all. Harry Strickland, new character, entering the fray, character in the books, obviously, finally going to be on the show. Cersei sent Euron to procure the Golden Company. She intends to use this army to protect and maintain her throne. What do we know about the Golden Company? They've never broken a contract. However, what do we know about Euron? He doesn't actually give a shit about Cersei or about marrying her. It's all just about power for him. Build me a thousand ships and I will give you this world. That was what he said to the Iron Islanders. He just wants to win. He wants to be in control. And if he has to take her out, he absolutely will. So who made the contract? He did, presumably, when she sent him. So do they actually report to him? Could he use her own army to take her down? The idea of, again, Cersei being caught in this web that she foolishly spun is very, very, very fitting to me.
0: Agreed. Now— here is my take on the Golden Company. So the Golden Company in the books was founded by Agor Rivers and various other refugees from the first Blackfire Rebellion civil war that was fought in Westeros against House Targaryen by the kind of bastard offshoot House Blackfire. They lost. Many of them fled east. One of them, Agor Rivers, fled with the sword of Aegon the Conqueror, mm-hmm. the sword named Blackfire. Mm-hmm. So... As many of the book readers will know, a mercenary company coming is part of a storyline involving a young man who purports to be Aegon Targaryen, the oh, yeah. uh, the son of Rhaegar and Elia Martell, who was uh, smuggled out of the city, we were to assume, and raised in Essos. Um, Fhaegon. Fagon. <laughs> young Griff. Whether or not, you know, it's like, do you believe he's real or fake? Anyway, what if they kind of combine those things? hmm and Harry Strickland is still like considers himself a Blackfire, or they're still kind of like Blackfire loyalist in that crew. And mm-hmm. they have the sword of Aegon the Conqueror. I think that's like a really cool way to complicate these things. What if they're like, oh, we've been hired to come finally after all these years, come home to Westeros to fight for the throne? Sure, we'll do it. And guess what we'll do after that? We'll put ourselves on the throne because this is what we've been waiting for all these years.
1: I like that a lot. I worry, actually, that something like that could happen because it just doesn't feel like there's time to do that justice. But that's really interesting. And and, and whether it's something like that or just Euron actively betraying Cersei, the idea of Cersei being betrayed by something that she thought was going to be a tool to further her own agenda feels very, very fitting. I, I like that. That's really interesting. Arya's remaining kill list hits. Cersei obviously on there. We already talked about the idea of the theory about her wearing Jamie's face to fulfill the Valonqar prophecy. She doesn't need to wear anyone's face. She's just going to find a way in, but obviously that would grant her entrance. Popular new theory on the internet is that she could be wearing Littlefinger's I face. I kind of like it. Although, because again, would be well known that he had died. Sure, but... Who knows? Yeah. Who knows what? How the show is treating the 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 sharing of information at this That's point? Right. Just go full Mission Impossible with Ethan
0: Hunt <laughs> <laughs> wearing various faces,
1: and then obviously the mountain remains on her list. She's
0: not going to kill the mountain. The hound is.
1: What if what if she teams up with her new buddy, the, the the hound, and helps him out? That would be great. They have that great little chat about how they both want to kill him. You know, when th- they're sitting by the fire back one. I think the hound's got
0: to do it Solo. mostly on his own.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. She had the Hound, Melisandre, Barrick, and Ilan Payne on her list at some point. Those are characters who were still alive and were once on her list, but over the course of the show has removed them for one yeah. reason or another. So, all right. Speaking of the throne. Number six, who will wind up on it? Is the whole hashtag for the throne marketing campaign a masterfully committed bit of misdirection? We did this... Path to the Throne, Mm -hmm. explainer video series where we looked at House Stark, House Targaryen, Mm -hmm. House Lannister, the field. And we ended the field video with the idea of breaking the wheel and melting down that throne. And that's when you 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 mentioned the dragons kind of undoing the thing that they had forged. I really like the idea, and we've seen this in the promotional art, the throne with the dragon's eyes, of the dragons melting down the throne. The throne being removed from the equation Committing to breaking the wheel at last. That could look like different things. It could be independent kingdoms. It could actually be some sort of democracy. Mm-hmm. As you've talked about at length many times before, there's precedent for elections of some yes, sort.
0: It exists in kind of smaller, much smaller scale, basic uh, structures. But it, it exists in the Knights Watch and the King's Smoot and various other places.
1: That feels like the right conclusion to me. But if there is a throne, who's on it? Uh, is John, it John, I and Danny John, John and Danny together?
0: John and Danny cult ruler. Or their child with some combination of like Sansa, Tyrion Jamie Davos as like the regent ruling in their name until they're old enough to take it over. I agree with your take and you've been on this corner for a while that the wheel's going to get broken. There's not going to be a throne after this. You don't go through all of this and be like, "Okay, let's just run it back and do it how we've been doing it all these years." Right. There has to be systematic change and really what better time than after the slate is nearly wiped clean by this existential foe. I think you're right about
1: that. No matter what, if there's a throne if there isn't, who's leading and where? There's gotta be time for fucking folks. Mm, yeah. Number seven. Who's coming? Town. <laughs> Let's run through very quickly some of our favorite shipping scenarios or some of our least favorite because those are just as applicable. Let's start with this idea of whether Tyrion is yes. in love with Danny. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's definitely in love with Danny. There Dany. have been
0: numerous conversations about how everyone falls in love with Danny one with Danny involved, one with her not involved, Tyrion involved in all of them. Okay? That's one. <laughs> yeah. Two. He's standing there like a weirdo under the stairs, watching her door as the, as the cries of pleasure and sound of, yeah. like, rocking bed frame emanate from behind the door. Now, many have said, well, he's just concerned about the, the political equation now. You know, he's been advising this queen, and all of a sudden it's more complicated because she's falling in love with this guy. And that's really what he's concerned about. Yeah, he can be concerned about that from his cabin. <laughs> He doesn't need uh, to yeah. stand outside the fucking door and listen to them fuck in order to be concerned about that. Right.
1: He also, of course, was the one advocating for their alliance in the first right. place, trying to convince John to bend the knee. Then, at the Dragon Pit, when he finds out John has, is like, oh my God, this isn't how I wanted it to be. I would have advised, had you asked, and then to Cersei, yes, it's what I wanted, but not like this. Well, why? Yeah.
0: Because why? he wants to be, now obviously yes. he hasn't heard
1: them fuck yet at that point, but he wants to be in control, and the fact that this is happening... Between the two of them organically and not with him puppeteering it is both a threat to his power, but also reveals that there's something else at play, this emotion. Also, spoiler, not about something we know is going to happen, but about something that George has said in the past. His original plan for the story. Great article from Zach Cram on The Ringer about this. Not only was his original intention for John and Arya to fall in love, but it was for Tyrion to fall in love with Arya and then for that to be a rift between Tyrion and John. As Zach noted in his piece, if you just sub in Danny's name there, yeah. everything fits. And not only does it fit, it portends a rift between Tyrion and John over a girl, which, look, any storytelling choice that they make, if they do it well, okay, I believe that. It can be handled with a plume, but I don't want that. That's pretty lame. Because I want John and Tyrion to be aligned. Their relationship has been such a heartbeat of the show. You know, they're so emblematic of the Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things idea, to the point where Tyrion used that line: all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes to convince John to sail to Dragonstone and treat with them in the first place. You know, that's been at the at the core of their relationship. And for them to maybe be at odds because they both like, want to fuck the same chick would just really suck. It's, I hope that
0: doesn't happen. It's, it would be pretty lame if that happens. Also, leaving aside the fact that the John's parentage reveal is yet to happen within the realm and within the story, it's just a good match. Mm-hmm. John and Danny is a great match. It makes sense. Many people would have suggested it if it had not happened like this. Yes. So... It's so
1: basically the one thing Littlefinger said to Sansa in Season 7 that was true. Yeah. It's a great match.
0: B... Brienne, Tormund, or Brienne, Jamie, which team of shippers will be happy? I hope it's Brienne, Jamie. Same. Because, like, Tormund, great dude. Love Tormund. And cr- like, five steps down for Brienne. She's just, <laughs> like, I love Tormund, but she's better than that.
1: As we said on the last pod, we cannot wait for Tormund and Jamie to meet yeah. because of their shared affection for Brienne. Whether we actually get something physical. I don't think so. I will say no. I just want Brienne and Jamie to be together. It's just like a
0: very, it's just like a very deep emotional relationship already. Like all that groundwork exists. Brienne and Tormund, it's like, it's just Tormund leering at Brienne. There's actually no relationship. There's no anything. Uh, right. You do, know. Yeah. Brienne and Jamie have shared
1: <laughs> oh, things. Yeah. Transformative experiences yeah. in their lives. Next. Arya Gentry. I ship it hard. I think it happens. Gendry once said that you know M'lady. he makes that steel sing. Hell, yeah, I wanted to make Arya sing too. You no, know, I think Gendry. Gendry lives in Poundtown. <laughs> <laughs> He's been pounding that steel his whole life. Oh boy, it is going to be tough if he has to tell Arya that he fucked Melisandre. And then- well, <laughs> it, <laughs> yummy, never been with a woman. Uh, yeah, again, I just think it's
0: one of those things <laughs> that's like they barely fucked if you watch it again, <laughs> and I have. Same. They really barely fuck. I don't even think it goes in. She oh, just no. She, no, 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 no. She rides no. him for 2 seconds then jumps off and puts the leeches on. There's it goes no in. It goes in, but there's no <laughs> completion. Like could you even call that sex? It's like she she gets on him. There's You're like You're pulling the just the tip pump. card on. It's me? basically just the tip. <laughs> she jumps on it's two pumps and then she drops the leeches on. Oh. It's not like I it's, it's sex in the most basic definition of the term, but it's not in any way satisfying or anything that you would need to like really talk about in terms of I don't like know. going she forward. She was skinning
1: that stag for a little while there.
0: Again, he was a virgin, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so I hope that that happens. Uh, cannot
1: wait for Arya and Gendry to be reunited. Yeah. Obviously, for Arya to tap back into her, her humanity. One of our favorite exchanges was, it's not their final scene together, the final scene is, is his capture, but their farewell, which comes before that when he explains that he's going to stay with the Brotherhood because they're a family, and she says, I could be a yeah. family. It's uh, just agonizing.
0: Next. Will Davos remember he has a wife? No. no.
1: <laughs> next. <laughs> <laughs> Who's gonna wind up with sex god pods rod? Oh, I like the idea of Pod and Sansa. Jesus. Yeah. I think they'd be great together. Though I also a lot of people out there are very, very invested in the Sansa Tyrion reunion. And maybe this is one way I that think- Tyrion can stop obsessing over Danny. I think Sansa Tyrion. Leaving aside whatever their emotions are about it,
0: I think it makes the most sense vis a vis bringing peace to the realm. Mm -hmm. You just say, hey, you guys got to do this. And whatever you do on the side is your own business. But I think you have to do this for the quote unquote realm. But see,
1: I don't think that that can happen again because, of course, their first marriage was both of them being forced into it. And that doesn't feel like proper resolution for their arcs to ultimately be bullied into a match again. Well, the thing, well, I think, I don't know if they would even be bullied into it. I
0: think Sansa would be like, oh you mean my kids will rule the North mm-hmm. and the Westerlands? I like it.
1: You don't think Robin Aaron has a chance of Sansa?
0: That's another good one. And I think that the thing is she doesn't have to marry him to have like pretty good influence over his actions already. Right. Peter's gone.
1: The little yeah, she would just be stepping into the little finger roll there, yeah, which so, is simultaneously fitting and slightly terrifying. So I think you
0: you can really lay out a roadmap where Sansa has a path to being one of the most powerful people in the realm unofficially and officially. Interesting. Yeah. I still think she and Pod should hook up. I, I like that too, because like Pod would clearly be the junior member of that relationship. Yeah. And I think that Sansa kind of she needs that. She's an alpha. Yeah. She's an alpha.
1: Are Missy and the worm doomed? Yes. <laughs> I mean, they kiss in the. Do you trailer. think they're both going to die, or just Grey Worm,
0: Grey Worm early, Missy late.
1: Grey Worm's falling at Winterfell. Seems like I think Missy
0: might make it. I like, I like Missy to make it. She's always close to Danny. Mm-hmm. You know, is Danny going to make it though? I don't think she dies in battle. Will she be alive at the end of the show? Maybe. I, I'm saying that like Danny doesn't die in battle. Correct. She's not going to die on the battlefield. with like. I don't know. I just don't see it. And Missy is always next to her. So I think that Missy has a good shot. I'm not saying she lives, but I think she has a good shot to make it to the end. My dude, Grey Worm, I think right, if I see guy. him
1: past episode three, four, I will be shocked. Yeah. I think we say goodbye to him in the Battle of Winterfell. What about Bronn? No sign of Bronn in any season eight promotional material. Keeps asking for his girl. Keeps asking for his castle. Jamie promised him a better one. He's always
0: in contract negotiations and it's never, he's always making demands and he's always getting shined on. You got to get it in writing, my guy. I don't think he does. I mean, it's like a little late in the game now. There's so much to do to get it. All we have to do is defeat the Night King. And after that, Cersei and the Golden Company with whatever ragtag army we have left. I think it's a long shot if he's alive at the end of this, which again I doubt. Yeah. If he doesn't get it, I mean, just go on a killing spree at that point.
1: He feels like a survivor to me. I feel like people like Brawn, Hot Pie, <laughs> Hottie, <laughs> they're gonna last. I hope he gets his castle. I wish Tyene were still around so oh that they my could God. Throw hook him up. up. Throw him up. Finally, Will Urran stick his finger? This is wild that you think it hasn't happened. <laughs> will we see it happen?
0: <laughs> I don't think. I don't think we'll see it happen, but it's. I think it's happened. I think he did it.
1: Well, oh, we're forgetting the best ship of all, Kaivin. Kaiban
0: in the hand? <laughs> in the hands. Oh yeah, that has happened
1: too. Uh, you're great, man. They burned it. So is he gonna get another may one? I, may I keep this
0: <laughs> for my research. Just, I want to <gasps> do some run some tests on it. Jaw strength, grip.
1: What if the mirror to Tywin entering? King's Landing and sacking the city because they thought it was a friend is kaibun letting in the Night King's forces just so that he can use a you know, zombie hand to thing, jack off. I got to say, one thing that
0: I think no one's expecting that I don't know how they would do, and it sounds stupid to even say it out loud, but I wouldn't put it past Cersei. Her trying to cut a deal with the Night King. I'm not saying he'd be amenable or even that it would work, but I could see her exploring it going, oh, yeah. is there something that he wants that we can do?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be the height of her arrogance. Yes. The culmination of her entire it would arc. Be, it would be very I'm much in line. to pull It this would off. be very much in line with her character to try that. Do you think the Night King likes Dornish Reds? No. <laughs> I it don't know what Cersei has to not offer. Not eating or drinking. <laughs> well, friends, previews are a ladder. That's what we keep telling Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are for the season eight premiere and to continue this journey with us, and that you'll join us again next week for our episode on the Season 8 premiere. Reminder, please join us live on Twitter on Sunday night for Talk of Thrones. Till then, remember, Season 8 is coming.
0: What, well, Tyrion? Uh, the what are you doing here? Uh, the hmm? Oh, my God, you're ah, yeah. Ah! Well, ah! Kind of I'm just uh, <gasps> very concerned about the political situation, as you can see. Uh, the That's all. Just uh, the thinking purely ah! about ah! the political implications ah! kind of, of this. Nothing more ah! kind of than that. Which is why I'm standing here like a, like a weirdo. Uh, under the stairs, oh, yeah, I'm standing under the stairs, oh, it's which is a normal place to stand <laughs> and to just, just consider the purely political landscape. Oh,